This is Jeffrey Sachs, editor of Tradition, with another episode of our podcast. Visit traditiononline.org, sign up for our newsletters, give us a like on Facebook to keep updated with all the offerings in the Journal of Orthodox Jewish Thought. Are you getting our quarterly print journal delivered to your home? Maybe now's the time to subscribe or renew your subscription or gift a subscription to a person who should be reading what we publish in Tradition. In our summer 2022 issue, we published an article by Yaakov Nagain titled, Sharing Torah with the World, the Jewish People's Responsibility to Non-Jews. It was part of a cluster of content that dealt with themes in Jewish universalism. Nagain's article is a learned treatment of issues related to the challenge of being a light unto the nations, and his argument that teaching Torah to non-Jews is the most effective way to fulfill our Jewish spiritual mission. His is a provocative thesis, since it must account for long-standing contrary attitudes and approaches, and must justify the endeavor in the face of readings of the tradition and halakha, which at best look at such activity with a jaundiced eye, or at worst, outright forbids it. Nagain takes this all on in his essay, available for download from traditiononline.org. Rabbi Dr. Yaakov Nagain is the director of Or Torah Stone's Beit Midrash for Judaism and Humanity and its Blickle Institute for Interfaith Dialogue. He is also a longtime senior rabbi, a Ram at the Otniel. Welcome to the Tradition Podcast, Rabbi Dr. Yaakov Nagain. Nice to see you. I'm grateful to be with you today, Rabbi Sachs. It's, um, it's particularly nice to see you because I think a lot of our listeners and you know, we, your longtime friends, uh, know that you recently went through a pretty serious uh, medical escapade, and we're glad that you're out through the other end of that. But I know that some of what you learned through that experience uh, actually impacts on the article that we're going to be discussing today, even though, of course, the article was written and published uh, before your, your, your troubles. So just, you know, on behalf of everyone, we're, we're glad to see you and wish you were a foolish layman to ask, how, how are you doing? Yeah, well, first of all, I'm very grateful to be fu fully recovering after a very serious brain hemorrhage. And for me, it was very moving since a lot of my work deals with the place of, of the Jewish people in the broader story of humanity to know that throughout the world, not only my Jewish brothers and sisters, but so many Muslim and Christian religious leaders added their prayers. I felt the verse that often guides me the book from the book of Tzfanya, calling together in the name of God. Um, had some level of fulfillment with all of those prayers, which I'm very grateful to Rabbanu Shalom for accepting those prayers. Amen. Amen. Uh, in Tradition's Summer 22 issue, we published your essay, Sharing Torah with the World, the Jewish People's Responsibility to Non-Jews. Now, the essay discusses concepts well known, although maybe not fully understood by, by many people, like Orla Goyim, our responsibility to be a light unto the nations. And it grapples with the halachic matter of the limitations of teaching Torah and which type of Torah to non-Jews. These are, these are actual halachic matters, which are legislated by, uh, by uh, rabbinic, uh, rabbinic literature. And you make, I think, a, a, 
a forceful argument uh, for why we should be teaching Torah of certain variety uh, to the big wide world and what purpose it serves uh, and, and for what reasons uh, uh, you think that's it. So maybe just summarize for us briefly what it is that you set out to do in this essay. Okay. Um, first of all, it's a belief that the Jewish people have a responsibility and role in the greater story of humanity. And part of the fulfillment of that role and responsibility is by sharing and spreading wisdom and light from the Torah to humanity. Um, so in the course of the article, I, I made, I showed that the statements that would seem to imply the opposite have to be understood in a particular context and, and, the, and following the very many statements teaching us about this responsibility um, and by also dealing with the, the, the tensions with the, the yeses and the noes to try to build up what is the path we should be taking in our global era of having the Jewish people fulfilling our obligation and responsibilities in the broader world. So, so speak for a moment to that, what you call this responsibility. What, what is this responsibility? Why, why is it in your eyes important to, to teach Torah? Why have you now uh, dedicated so, so, so a very significant portion of your own teaching career, uh, which formerly had been spent inside the Beit Midrash, and you of course maintain uh, a foot, if not both feet inside the Beit Midrash, but why is it important to be teaching Torah to the whole whole wide world. Okay. Let's go to the beginning. The Torah begins not the Torah begins not with the, sto the story of the Jewish people. The Torah begins with the story of our common humanity. There our common ancestor Abraham, Adam, our common divinity being created at Selim Elohim. And in my reading of the Torah, the choosing of the Avot was not to neglect humanity, but as the Torah says, by Avram, by Yitzchak, and Yaakov, to bring blessings to the families of the earth. Admatan Torah, among the first things said, is that the Jewish people have a role to be mamlechet koanim v'goy kadosh, a nation of priests. That means a priest needs, who is the priest servicing? In my opinion, that statement is saying is, is to service broader humanity. And this is all begin before we get to the vision of the future. Zionism, religious Zionism, is we are actively partners with God to realize the vision of the future of the Jewish people. Part of that was returned to Zion, but part and parcel of many of those same visions is about the Jewish people playing, finding the role in humanity, whether it's statements specifically about spreading Torah, from Zion, Torah will go out to the world, to humanity, whether it's statements of being a light unto the nations, um, or whether statements about partners in serving God, um, all of these statements are very rooted in the Tanakh, but also in modern thinkers, Rabbi Cook begins his book, Einaya, by, by saying, explaining, we say Shema Yisrael twice a day, twice a day accepting the yoke of heaven. Why? The night is like the exile. The Jewish people in exile are on survival mode. 
And there, our accepting the yoke of heaven is inter focuses internal. But in the time of redemption, the Kriyachma of Shacharit, it re reflects that we should be playing a role in, in Malchut Shemayim for all of humanity. And I think the time has come to say, the time has come for Shema Shacharit. And to realize, just to make like a movement from the particularistic to the more universal. Yes. Yes. And just like the return to Zion, it didn't happen on its own. It happened, what I see as the will of God, for the Jewish people to be active in, in, the, re, in, re, in the reality, to make it happen, so too, the visions of the future of Torah out of Zion, light to the nations, it will happen because we are active participants. So there are all types of ways, and let me play devil, devil's advocate here for a moment. There are all types of ways we might advance those goals of being a moral voice to the world, of trying to alleviate universal human suffering, of trying to be a, a beacon of, of science and wisdom and, uh, and, and, and ethics, and uh, myriad ways that we might fulfill those, those missions. But you've identified the teaching of Torah, that, that most specific of, 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 of homegrown internal Jewish activity as the best and first way to, to advance that, that agenda. And of course, Yaakov, you're aware that, uh, well, you know, many people disagree with you and that there's actually a long rabbinic tradition, albeit a rabbinic tradition that was formulated in that diaspora that you spoke of, which now has been somewhat ameliorated by the return to Eretz Yisrael and the rise of the state of Israel and and uh, the the work of religious Zionism, uh, but but why identify it specifically in the teaching of Torah and not in a thousand other things? All of which I know you you advocate and agree with as well. But why put put the main emphasis on the teaching of Torah as the way to achieve this? Well, certainly, as you said, I'm not exclusive. I don't think the For only sure. role Jewish people. But I feel, since I don't identify with the approaches that think that Jews have different souls or different metaphysics or different DNA, but rather believe in the Mishnah and Sanhedrin, that we have a common ancestor, the Mishnah says, Adam so we can't say that my father is bigger than your father. If I ask what makes us who we are, what do we have to share with humanity? I feel it goes back to the blessing we say on Torah, we see, it is the Torah that gives us the answers to many of the questions, to be a force of morality, moral teachings, the ways of God. All, all these things, I believe, ultimately stem from Torah. So, and so in addition to the fact that Torah is spelled out explicitly in the verse, as I put, or the verse about to learn from the ways of God, for me, Torah, I deal a lot with Jewish philosophy and Kabbalah. Torah is not just the Mishnah Bura. Torah is the totality of Jewish wisdom relating to all that relates to God, the divine, and his will in the world. So in Torah, learning the ways of God, learning as Shlomo Melech wanted, pray that God should have the, the Nadu should come to Yushalayim to learn to fear him. This is all part of my broad understanding of Torah. So I see this as being really the heart 
of what we have to do. It's not high tech from Tel Aviv. It's not more Nobel Prizes. It's the essence of what we receive from God, which is the Torah. Right. But even pro programmatically and pragmatically, um, you, you recognize that there are ways to go about doing this according to your opinion. And the, the article actually, the article, which is actually quite, uh, I'll say, philosophical in nature, this is not a this is not a guidebook on how to prepare a, a, an afternoon shiur for the local uh, the local uh, non-Jewish community. But at the end, you do turn your attention to some practical matters. You you the last section is called "Being a Light to the Nation: Practical Halacha," which I know is a subject you've spoken about and written about and thought about uh, in, in other works. We'll talk about in a minute. But maybe summarize for us what you think some of the practical. Um, okay. Applications and implications of this are. Well, first of all, maybe one step before that is my response to those um, I mentioned. As when I was once in in Shanghai, China, mm -hmm. and a rabbi um, met me there, and when he heard that I was teaching Torah to Chinese, his first response was, "How do you do that?" The Talmud says. A Gentile studies Torah is worthy of death. Um, but first, I'd like to respond, and part of my response to that builds the, the basis for that the question you asked me. Okay. I believe in any halachic topic, the question, what is your starting point? If the starting point is a non-Jew studying Torah is obligate, is deserves is deserving of death for stealing um, in the Gemara, and then any stealing. <laughs> Stealing the intellectual property of the Jewish people yes, by studying Torah. Intellectual theft, then you feel that a really serious strict rabbi will forgive it. And if you're some more lenient, you'll find here or there some outlets to be lenient and allow something that the serious strict rabbis forbid. But my starting point is very different. My starting point is Tanakh, that so many explicit statements about sharing Torah within Chazal. There are many statements on the positive Torah, and there's, I quote Midrashim being very critical of the Jewish people not sharing Torah. In Tanakh times, all the Tanakh statements, Rabbi Meir appears three times in Shas, which also appears in Rav Yirmiya's name in the, in the Sifra. A guy that studies Torah is like a high priest in the Beit HaMikdash. So if I look overall, this the statement is about Torah is it is a blessing to share it, an obligation to share it. And we are being criticized in many statements for not sharing it. Look in all the footnotes in the article. There are single statements against this, which for whatever reasons have became, been- Became born. dominant in, in- Dominant. But if you look carefully at those statements, you can see they are contextual. The same way statements restricting Torah studied by women are now understood as being said in a particular context. And we see it as a great blessing that half of the Jewish people are now very involved with the study of Torah, um, including my wife, who is the founder and head of Sahali, the, is a, uh, a pre-army no. academy with 100 young women there studying Torah. Um, the same way is true relating to this statement. Rabbi Yochanan, what did he say? Rabbi Yochanan says that a non-Jew studies Torah, it is seen as, as 
stealing the inheritance to the Jewish people. Already Rabbi Yechiel Yaakov Weinberg quotes people saying that the context here is early Christianity that said the claim that the Torah is no longer related to the Jewish people, the, the old Jewish people, but now it's the new Israel, Israel of the spirit, which are the early Christians, Christians yeah. they, the Christ, they have the covenant and they have the Torah. So we so he would see Rabbi Yochanan as a polemic again in a context of those who don't merely learn the Torah, but try to take it for their own. And this is, I, I noticed this is very relevant to Rabbi Yochanan. We have other statements in the Talmud showing that Rabbi Yochanan was involved in the Jewish Christian polemic. For example, Rabbi Yochanan it says, you should not fast on Sundays because someone might mistakenly think that you're respecting sure. the holy day of the Christians. Because of the Notzrim. mentions the Notzrim. So things are said in a context. And we could see this in later eras. There's a shut of the Rambam. The Rambam said the opposite. He says, don't teach Torah to Muslims, but yes, teach it to Christians. Because in the Rambam, he said, could the Christians respect the text of the Torah? And there, it would be a positive. Whereas in the time of the Rambam, there were polemics in medieval times that Muslims claim that the Torah we have today is a forgery, a change of the original Torah, and they would study Torah to prove their point. So both what the Sri Deesh is saying and Rav Yochan is saying is saying, look at the context. Torah, Torah, but look at the context. They are context that it's negative. So therefore, I agree. We should look at the context in every audience. And this is the, the back up to your question about what should we be teaching in every audience to think. When is the Torah that I bring to these people, does this bring blessings to the world and humanity? Or is this something that could be misused for negative purposes? And so, I, so this is the starting point to answer the question that you asked before about how and what Torah to teach and maybe even what not to teach. I see. I want to come back. Uh, you mentioned the context and what uh, Maimonides thought about Muslims and what the Rabbi Yochanan thought about the early Christians. And in our earlier conversations, in our private conversations, you said something that I found very interesting. Uh, you know, today, most of your work and interaction with non-Jews are with the Christian community and with the Muslim community. Of course, there are other faith communities out there as well that you've intersected with. But the nature of the world population puts you in touch with, with uh, the other two the major monotheistic faiths, Christianity and Islam, and you find that it plays out differently. Uh, can you speak to that? Uh... Certainly. Um, Christianity has taken great strides from denying, seeing the Jewish people as being rejected and cursed by God and their covenant with God broken, a process beginning in the 1960s, Nostra Teti, which the first step was going against the negativity against the Jewish people, culminating in 2015, another document of the Vatican saying the gifts of God are irrevocable, saying that the covenant between the Jewish people and God is eternal, cannot be broken, and therefore there is no need for missionary activity towards the Jewish people, who their redemption is through the covenant with God. I am working on the parallel process with Islam, where in Islam it's much easier because Islam is much more, the Quran is much more explicit about its respect and recognition of the 
of the of the covenant between the Torah and God, um, as the fifth surah of the Quran says, which is the latest of the of the surot, says that if God wanted, He could have given one book to all, but He gave the Torah to the Jewish people, which is light and guidance. They should live it by the rabbis, the evangel to the Christians, and now the book to the to the Muslims, and we and therefore all should do based on the book they receive. How in the Middle Ages did things get so misinterpreted? That's beyond the scope of this podcast. But I am actively involved. I've been to Al Azhar, the primary Islamic university in 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 of Sunni Islam in 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 Egypt. I've been there. I have daily WhatsApp with Shiite leaders in Iraq, and I've just came back from the what was considered to be the largest the most significant interfaith conference in the world of Indonesia, the world's largest Muslim, Muslim community. country, community. Today, there was an earthquake where I was there. So, Bezat Hashem, there should be great Yeshuot and uh, healing for the survivors and the injured in that earthquake. Um, but the atmosphere there was deeply moving to see the great respect. Let me tell you one short story from there. The head of the World League of Islam from Mecca, Saudi Arabia, after the beautiful um, sermon he gave, um, among other things, saying that God made us different, so we have to learn how to hold, hug, and accept the diversity, I gave him a copy of the Torah translated into Arabic. After a big hug, he says, by any chance, is this a translation of the Rambam? <laughs> because we all love Moshe, Rav Moshe ben Maimon. I told him it's after Rav Sadiagon, and, and, and he overcome his disappointment when I explained to him the greatness of Rav Sadiagon. So the world is moving. Things are happening. Right. And the Jewish people, we have well, to be careful yeah. not to miss. I think, I think some listeners, I think I was surprised. I think some listeners will be surprised or maybe find it ironic that you, in fact, are somewhat more optimistic about the potential of your work amongst the Islamic community than amongst the Christian community. I think there's a sense today in the world that the Christians, and particularly the Christian Zionists, are, well, they're already on board with, uh, with, uh, with, ah, with, with us. And, and, and in fact, you know, I mean, you know, we know that there are segments of the Muslim world that are not our best friends. Uh, but in fact, your optimism flows in the opposite direction. Um, so first of all, um, it, it's, I'm optimistic in general, but my optimism is that Islam will go to the path that Christianity is taking. It's not that I think that things are, in terms of relations, things are better with, are now e less complex with Islam than Christianity. It's the opposite. In terms, I mean, optimism in terms of the potential of your work. Um, certainly. But, but, but first to set it straight, um, Christianity has made incredible strides. I work on Islam. Why? Because I go where the challenges are. Not that I think that there's a greater potential necessarily. Now in Islam, um, my vantage point, living near Hebron for 25 years in Israel, being being very well connected throughout, whether Palestinians on the West Bank, Arabs throughout Israel, having been to Egypt, Jordan, extensive connections to the Emirates, um, Saudi Arabia, and worldwide, my opinion of what is or isn't happening in Islam, I hope carries some weight more than people who haven't in their ever life ever spoken to an imam. 
Now, to say that that all of reality is rosy, um, I won't say it. Right now, I'm in the middle of preparing uh, for the Shiva Notniel, preparing three memorials. 20 years for the terrorist attack. Terrorist, the terrible, 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 terrible terrorist. In the yeshiva. The yearly memorial for all of our students. And then another memorial I'm preparing now for a neighbor of mine. So to think that all reality is rosy, um, I'm not, I don't think that I'm a candidate for that. But the real, what people often miss is reality has different dimensions. There are positive and there are negative dimensions. If we only focus on the negative, we're never going to overcome and heal the world that needs healing. But if we could see that together with negative aspects of reality, there are many positive aspects of reality and ask are the big question, how can I take a, a broken world, a world that needs to be healed, how can I help bring it to a better place? In this question, I feel connection is the answer. And in Indonesia, one of my slogans, which was, adopted throughout the, con the, 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 the conference was connection before correction. To correct, we need to connect. Um, one of your recent books, you've been so prolific, one of your recent books is a much more, let's say, conventional offering of, of Talmud Torah. Uh, the English translation of an earlier Hebrew volume, in English it's called The Soul of the Mishnah, which was recently uh, reviewed in, uh, in our most recent issue of tradition by Rabbi Yosef Bronstein. Um, and that book reminds me uh, that you and I know each other a very long time. We studied Yoridea together in uh, yes. Yeshiva University uh, decades ago now. Um, uh, these were not always your interests. It's fair to say that your, your involvement in this work might have even been surprising to the young Yaakov, then uh, Ganak, uh, back in the early 90s at, at YU. How did this happen? What, what, what's the story here that led you to your, your involvement um, and your pioneering role in these efforts? I think it's, it's a gradual process of one thing leading to the other, although to make an authentic confession, it's less about ideology. I think somehow I just like people. And somehow that flaw or blessing, everyone has could have their take on it, loving people, Somehow I made it into a ideology and a theology. But it was one thing, but it's something that grows on you. Once you open up your horizons, realizing that the great and wide world that God has created is a little bit broader than, than the pilpulim, which I still focus on and do, there's a broader world here. You start asking bigger questions. And from these bigger questions, and encounters and connections, one thing leads to another. So it was a gradual process, but I feel also the many people that I brought into these issues, it's one thing that it, it grows on you. Many rab rabbis, leader, leaders who I've brought into these discussions, once you open your eyes, you can't close them. It becomes so obvious in our era of globalization, and the challenges that religion in general has, specific that Judaism have to be meaningful, to be significant, to be relevant, to, to think of a question, what is our role in the world? What is the meaning of a Jewish state in part of the vision? Once you start asking these questions and encountering people, you don't stop. It just grows on you. 
uh, we only have a, a moment left, but relevant to our conversation now and the essay you published in Tradition, your most recent book, unless you've managed to squeak out another one in the next, in the, in the, in the, in the last uh, uh, few days, is Ushmo Echad, Ripuya Kesher Ben Yisrael Vedatota Olam. In English, the title is given as, and his name is one, Healing Judaism, Judaism's Relations with World Religions, which is uh, co-published, co-authored by yourself and Sarah Rosenblatt and Asaf Malach and co-published by the by the Ortora Stone Beit Midrash for Judaism and Humanity together with Magid Books. It's available in Hebrew. Hopefully there'll be an English edition at some point in the future. So just tell us a word about what you've done in, in this most recent volume. Okay. Um, there's a, the vision of the, of the future, which I think, I hope there's a consensus is that humanity together will be calling in the name of God, or as, as Rashi puts it. Rashi says that in in exile in originally it's only Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Achad. He says originally it's only Hashem Elokeinu God is our God, but to really achieve God is one, Rashi writes, will only be in the future when we fulfill the vision of calling together in the name of God, and on that day God will be one and His name will be one. This will only happen together with humanity. So I think I hope Rashi and Tanakh are kind of consensus for Judaism. The question is, how is this going to be realized? Does this mean that everybody's going to convert and be Jewish? Certainly recent policies of the Israeli rabbinate would seem to imply that that's not what they're looking for. Um, some rabbis believe that it's world will convince world religions to leave their religions and keep the seven mitzvot of B'nai Noach. I feel this is misguided on several accounts, both because I don't think this really is interacting with reality. Um, and, and also I feel it's insulting and almost demeaning. I see the seven mitzvot of B'nai Noach after the world being destroyed. The first imperative is what are the things, behaviors we should avoid for the world to not be destroyed again? Um, but this isn't any substitute for the deep religiosity of humanity in search of the face of God, of loving him and serving him, which I, I see the seven mitzvot are a building block, a, 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 a basis that is essential. But on this, we must go further. So the book goes throughout the Rishonim, the Achronim, new thinking about these issues to make a strong case to say that the, that the process we're part of a partnership with humanity is not about convincing them to leave their religious identities, but in the context of their religions, to find a way together to call in the name of God. That, that Hebrew volume is Ushmo Echad. Your essay, Sharing Torah with the World, The Jewish People's Responsibility to Non-Jews, appeared in the summer 2022 issue of Tradition and is available free online for download at traditiononline.org. We look forward to continuing our conversations with you about this provocative article. Um, you understand that your work is, is provocative uh, in the best sense of provocative. You're provoking people to think about something against the grain of the way we have understood it for, for so long. And uh, in that regard, we thank you for your work and your contribution to tradition and to 
to the, the efforts that you're making to, to fix the world uh, out there, the big wide world. Rabbi Yaakov Nagin, we wish you and a continued, you. a continued, continued, continued chazak ve'amatz and refuah shleima and good health and good, good, good best in all of your important work and teaching, teaching to the Jewish people and teaching to the whole world. Thank you. And thank you, Rabbi Sachs, for allowing me both to be part of tradition and part of today's podcast. Thank you.